Hello, everybody. Sports Reports as Ordered is coming at you. Mike Wilson in the building. Raphael Rutley across from me. We're going to talk to you tonight about that time of year that I love. March Madness is here. Finally. I had to suffer through October, November, and so on and so forth just to get here. And I'm happy, baby. Then we're going to talk about the bottom six teams in the NBA. You know, we're going to talk about which one of them has the brightest future. What is the draft looking like? You know, are we might get into the coaches. Just which of these teams has the best future? Then we're going to get into the... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We got Tank and Garcia coming up next month. This is going to be an epic fight, I think. And then we're going to talk about where the winner goes from there. You know, who else is next on the list to fight? We're going to talk about these NFL transactions because everyone has been tagged. That's over with. We're in actual free agency now, and there has been some noise. And then we're going to close it out with Get It Off My Chest. So, Raph, how you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm chilling. Like I said, we had to take a – we only got one episode in last week. You know, dad duty takes over. You got AAU basketball. I got multiple lacrosse leagues that my son is in. We we're out there in the rain getting soaked on Friday, last Friday. Uh, yeah, my son's team won like 11 to 1 or 12 to 1. And if you don't know about lacrosse, it's one goal at a time. Uh, so, you know, I was out there having a good time. You know, my son out there, he, he plays defense. He's a big kid, like 5'10, 170. I don't know where he got that height from. You know, he got that from the old ancestors, but he's out there, no shirt on, just elbow pads and his jersey. And he's like, I want to look intimidating, Dad. I'm like, you're a 5 foot 10, 13 year old. I think that's enough. But we're out there, had a good time while the parents out in the rain. It's a good time. You know, it's a good beginning of the year. It's a good transition. Like we said, we transitioned to the NFL New Year. We transitioned to March Madness. Uh, we in the height of the NBA playoff run. I mean, like, it doesn't seem like a great time for sports because the NFL isn't front and center with games every week and college football is on front and center with games every week. But it's a lot of gems if you really enjoy sport. There's a lot of gems in there. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of interactions, a lot of transactions. And, you know, we, we're here to bring you all of the information that you're not getting everywhere else. We're having that conversation that you might have with your barber or the guys in the barbershop, like different kind of conversations, not just the same one over and over again. So I'm excited. Mike's a big college basketball fan. He talks about it all the time, talks about his Kentucky blue blood original. We've had these arguments and debates and conversations before. So he's going to lead us off with the, the field of 68. How you feel yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, so you know. Yeah, so you know, y'all can tell I'm tired too, you know what I'm saying? Because I got the Kobe eyes going on right now. But you know what I'm saying? But yes, March Madness is here. I have been waiting. I was sitting there looking at these brackets, and one day, my one of my goals in life is to sit in this committee room and figure out how they come up with these seeds. Because I was trying to figure out why Texas A&M is the seventh seed. I was trying to figure out why Rutgers didn't get in. But at the same time, Rutgers don't be losing 13 or 14 games, and we might not have to have that conversation. I'm trying to figure out, because every other sport, especially the NFL, we talk about head-to-head. And I saw a Clemson beat NC State three times, finish ahead of them, including winning by 26 in the ACC tournament, and NC State got in and Clemson didn't. You know, so I'm just trying to understand how all this works. Now, I know Clemson lost to Louisville. They lost to Loyola, Chicago. But 
regardless of their losses, when do we count the wins? I'm looking at the Big 12. I got West Virginia up in here with a 7-11 and 11 conference record. Now, I know that the Big 12 is the tough conference this year. It's like the basketball SEC. But can you beat somebody? You know, but with that being said, I picked West Virginia to win in the first round. But, you know, <laughs> but, but, but can we stop with the 7-11 and 11 teams getting into the tournament? So I was just going to run down my final four real quick. So um, now <laughs> I ended up with Alabama in the final four. Because when I look at their bracket, the South, it just seems as if they have the easiest road, which they should because they're the overall number one seed. So they should, in theory, have the easiest road. You know, I do think that Arizona could give them some trouble. Maybe Creighton turns into the team that everybody thought they were coming into the year. But when I look at the East, I'm looking at Purdue and I say, "Ooh, you are in trouble. You are in trouble, Purdue, because you potentially play Memphis in the second round with freshman guards. But they're not freshman guards in the sense of John Wall or De'Aaron Fox. These are just freshman point guards. So that might come back to bite them down the road because I was looking and I didn't realize that when Duke is healthy, because I was watching the selection show and I was watching ESPN and everybody was picking Duke to go to the final four. And I was like, what do they see that I don't see? What they saw was that when Duke is healthy, they're 17 and one. That's what they saw, you know what I'm saying? But I still don't got Duke in my final four. You know, I got them going to the sweet 16, but, you know, we'll come back to that. So um, I got Kansas State as my sleeper as the three seed coming out of that region. Then in the Midwest, please let this happen. My elite eight is Houston and Texas. And the winner, guess what? The final four is in Houston. So, you know, I might even get a Texas A&M. Texas matchup in the second round. So, you know, I got Houston pulling out the bracket there. So, so far. So that's Bama, K-State, and Houston. And then we go to the region of death. I don't know who Kansas pissed off. You know, they ended up with 17 quad one wins, 18, depending on who you talk to, which is the most any team has ever had since we initiated this system that I hate. But that's what they did. That's a tough bracket, man. It's a tough bracket. You know, you got got UCLA as the two, even though their best defender is out for the season. You got Gonzaga as the three. You got UConn as the four. Everybody apparently loves TCU. So, you know, they're the sixth seed, you know, from that mighty Big 12 that we talked about. So I went through there, and this was my shocker pick to myself. I shocked myself. I picked Gonzaga to win that region. I was looking because at this, Gonzaga. I was like, he's going to say Gonzaga. Because we don't talk about this before. He'll pick Gonzaga. Well, well, this is the first time that – this is the first tournament that I remember that Gonzaga wasn't a big story going into the tournament. So usually Gonzaga comes into the tournament with somewhat of a bullseye. They're always a contender. People are saying how weak their conference is, and they're just waiting for Gonzaga to fall. But this year, Gonzaga's just kind of easing into the tournament. Nobody's talking about them, so I don't see the pressure. I'm 12. Uh, I like I like I like the breakdown. I remember just if you don't know anything about college basketball, we've done brackets. I think probably the first bracket that I like I done and I like I talked about a lot. I was a senior in high school. My math teacher was me and him would talk about it. You know, it was block schedules. So I saw them every other day. So, like, the games were happening. 
And I think that year, Utah State had a guy named Arsenal. He had like a real short neck, long arms. And I kept picking, <laughs> and I kept picking Gonzaga. And he asked me, he's like, why do you keep picking these guys every week? I'm like, I watch. This is, but this is before. Like right now, everyone's watching TV and internet and Twitter and everything else. But back in the day, <clears throat> you weren't getting these other schools. You were getting Duke. You were getting ACC basketball. You were getting Big East basketball. You were getting Kentucky. Like you weren't getting a lot of games on ESPN. You were getting games every week, but it wasn't you. You were rarely getting a game. Davidson wasn't on TV in November, December, just as a Wednesday night game. You were getting your standard North Carolina, UVA, Virginia Tech, ACC. So when I watched the tournaments, the tournaments were the first time that everyone got to see these guys. Because before the internet, you wouldn't know what you were getting from a team from South Dakota State or North Dakota State or Northern Iowa. So if you watch the tournaments, because ESPN had, they took that block out because basically they would play the tournaments all day long. They wouldn't play show. They would just play these tournament games all day long. I think ESPN two just started. So you weren't getting a lot of information early in the season. That's why you had teams like Wally Zerbiak in Miami of Ohio make breaking off upsets because no one had seen them before, including the players that they're playing against. So if you go to UNC, you go to Kentucky, you go to Duke, you go to Temple, you go to St. John's, UConn, you're not worried about some small school from North Carolina. Then meanwhile, a guy like Steph Curry explodes. You're like, who is this dude shooting from 29 feet? And we're 19 and 21 year olds. Like, he shouldn't be able to shoot from out there. Wally Zerbiak killed the tournament. You might not know his name now. He played for the Timberwolves. I think he played for the Cavaliers. He was an NBA journeyman, but he murdered the tournament for like three rounds. Steph Curry made his name. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, uh, LeBron James, those dudes came to Steph Curry's college basketball games because one year he just exploded on the map. They're like, how did this happen? Now they kind of set it up to where, because a lot of those schools were knocking teams out. So if I look up a, a matchup like, uh, like you know, let's go with uh, UConn-Iona, right? Back in the day, 90, I mean, 96, 97, 98, 99, those schools were knocking out a school like UConn. And ESPN is the bank on having teams like UConn in the Final Four, the Elite Eight. Well, so what happened was like, you know what? Let's start playing these teams during the season or let's put them on tv so people knew who they were so they wouldn't just shock us and ruin all these brackets all over the place so now you don't mm-hmm. see the upsets um i think having teams your top one two or three teams make it to the final four that's also rare someone's going to slip up i think alabama, yeah uh, 2008 i think alabama has yeah, a lot of mercy so i mean I think they could fall to a team like they could fall to Maryland in the second round, just not being prepared, just kind of being off. Cause they're going to be, they're going to win the, the 16 one matchup, no matter what it, who it is. Um, then you also have teams like, like Duke out of the East. They're just, they have a pedigree for just being big time, a big time school. 
I think guys play differently with the, the name on the front versus name on the back. I think that's always a that's always something you can bank on. Uh, I always bet a 12 beating a five every year, no matter what. I don't care who the five is. I pick a 12 to beat a five. So you got a team mm-hmm. like Drake beating Miami. That could, that could knock your bracket out because what happens is that 12 beats that five. And then that shooter gets confidence. The coach gets confidence in his rotation. Because if you if you think about the basketball talent, yes, I'm pretty sure Houston's basketball talent is higher than a team like Boise State. But if you get a guy that's feeling it, i.e., we'll think about the NBA, a lot of these guys have the talent to score 70. It doesn't happen often. You got guys that score 50, it doesn't happen often. But the night that a guy is hot, Clay Thompson, nine, eight, nine, ten threes. If you catch a guy and he puts six threes on you mm-hmm. on a Thursday night in a 12-5 game, and then you get the 12 versus the uh, you get the 12 versus the the six game the follow you know was it 12-4 game next week? So you got a guy high guy from Drake. They're playing against Indiana. He was like, yo, I was hot in this building two days ago. Everybody's talking about him on ESPN because he's the 12th, and he gets hot again. It's a lot of teams, a lot of double-digit seeds that make it to, like, make it past the second round. So I, I think that's this is probably why it's always tough to pick. You want to go chalk and be like, all right, one of the top three seeds is going to make it over to the Final Four, but you never know. I mean, that George Mason run was an anomaly because VCU did it. You know, so like it does happen where a lot of these teams just make these runs. I'm just super excited about it because I mean, I want like I won my bracket last year. I won't even watch any college basketball, but I won like the top <laughs> one out of my thing because I just I went with like you know what? I think VCU because I always pick a team from Virginia, I pick a team from Utah every year. You know what? Utah State they might beat Missouri. You might not think that, or yeah, I picked it. You picked it, you know. So like, but you live out there. You got the Utah Utes at different college, but <laughs> you know, you just think about, you know what? I think this team is surprising one. I think Providence over Kentucky. I think Providence could beat Kentucky. You're a Kentucky guy. I know you probably picked them, but <laughs> you know, you get Providence, they beat Kentucky. They feel they get like a jolt, and now you got, you know, you got Kansas State coming in the next round. And that guy gets hot, you know. You go up eleven or twelve in the first half. Now you feel well, yeah. So and that's what it's all about, you know. Sometimes it's just about runs. Yeah. So I had a couple of key points that I wanted to hit on. So you know, uh, we talked about West Virginia against Maryland. So I went on my thing about West Virginia being seven and eleven in the Big Twelve. Why would I pick them to win? You know why I would pick them to win? Because Maryland was 16 and one at home and two and nine on the road. So Maryland does not play well away from home. So, you know, like when you have limited information and, you know, regardless of what people say, they are not watching every single basketball game, you know, but just think, just thinking about it on that level. I also picked Furman to upset UVA. So there's your uh, response to your Kentucky Providence pick right there. So, (laughs) so, You know, um, but just some other notes, you know, Baylor, Baylor is a team that I'm concerned about, you know, um, they're the three seed in Alabama's region, but 
they're two and four in their last six games coming into the tournament. Purdue, who I just talked about, they won the Big Ten tournament. You got to give them that. But prior to that, they were four and four in their last eight before that. So, you know, um, another upset that I picked was you mentioned it already. You know, I picked world class rapper Drake over Miami because, you know, Miami has an injury to worry about, you know, um, Orchan Omir. So, you know, uh, we don't know if he's going to play or not. He's got a bum ankle. I also picked in that same bracket in that same area. I picked Kent State over Indiana. So I got Kent State and Drake meeting up in the second round. So, you know, one of those two teams, by my view, in the second round, one yeah. has to move on. So now, yeah. you got, so if you got 12 versus 13 in the second round, that means you got a 12 in the Sweet was that? That's the Sweet 16, right? Yeah I, got Kent, yeah, I got Kent State beating Drake, so I got a 13 in the Sweet 16. And they're matched up with, looks like Houston, I'm imagining. Yeah, I would have them matched up. Yeah, I would have them matched up with Houston, yep. So that, then in that same bracket. Games. They won two games. I mean, Houston, yeah. 31 wins. They probably expect to be in the Sweet 16. You get a team that's 12 or 13, they aren't expected to be in the Sweet 16. So they're playing well. Well, that's why I led with I would like to be in the room when they when the committee puts these seeds together. Not necessarily what teams they let in, but the seeds that they give these teams. I would like to see that conversation. Um, I also – so Xavier is a team that I just don't know what to think. They're a trendy Final Four pick. You know, they got Sean Miller back from Arizona. So, you know, they have the coach in place. But – they got some injuries going on. I saw this team lose to Butler and DePaul this season. So I just can't pick a team that lost to Butler and DePaul to the Final Four. I just can't. You know, Iowa State, you know, has a little bit of flavor because last year they came in unexpected. TJ Otzelberger, the coach, came in. They made it to the Sweet 16 last year. But the only problem is the leader of that is at Texas now. Speaking of Texas. 19 and 13, that's just – I think that's putting them in a position where – I don't know, it just, it just seems, this seems like they're, because you got Penn State at 22 and 13, rated tense. Yeah, and, 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 and like I said, the Big 12 was the toughest conference in the country, but you also got to move teams around so you can avoid conference matchups. You know, they try to avoid conference matchups or rematches up until at least the Sweet 16, so you kind of have to finagle around a little bit so that way you're not getting a conference matchup in round two you know um like i said memphis is dangerous for purdue but back to the bracket of death arkansas could be dangerous for kansas because nick smith is back he's probably going to be a top five nba draft pick so just keep your eye on that if they could get past illinois um st mary's i am so sorry i am so sorry st mary's i picked vcu the reason that i picked vcu is because you're playing in Albany and St. Mary's has to travel across the country from California. But not only that, they played an early game. So I'm just not feeling St. Mary's in that spot. St. Mary's is the better team, obviously, there to five. But with the travel and all that, the early window, I'm just going with VCU right there. So I was tempted to pick Northwestern over UCLA. Um, in the second round, but I'm not there. But one thing that I don't like, before I turn it back over to you, Raph, one thing that I don't like is I don't like non-seeded Auburn playing in Birmingham. You know, why are they getting an advantage? It's, you know all, I mean? it's always something. It's just because logistically you can't 
is all is always something. There's always a team that's gonna have some kind of geographical advantage. I remember North Carolina and Duke seem to always play somewhere near North Carolina, either just north or in North Carolina in and of itself. There is a method to the madness to where you do want your better teams in it. But I think I'm going to push it back to you. Is this of the college playoff formats, where do you rank the NCAA tournament as far as its ability to find a champion for their sport? So what I like about the NCAA tournament is the best team doesn't always win. You know, like in the NBA, generally, the best team is going to win because you have seven games to get it right, potentially. So in a one and done format, the intensity levels are up. The excitement is up. And the thing about it is this first weekend is going to be awesome. But if Kent State really gets through to the Sweet 16, like I said, people are going to hate them playing Houston, especially if they win. Because we want Cinderella in the first round. You want something to talk about. You don't want Cinderella in the final four. The I, the I Final four. Well, I want it. I want it. But the media execs don't want it. He would have court shot against Duke to go in. Sports science did a measurement that said if it was two, if it hit two inches lower, it would have gone in. I wanted to go in because I think that the NCAA has a better format than college football. Mm -hmm. And I think they should have leaned in more to getting like okay, say, like right now Gonzaga and St. Mary's those slash schools are getting in. I would have leaned in more to getting Gonzaga and you know St. Mary's and Murray State and Wichita State and a lot of these other smaller schools. I would want them in the tournament more versus I'd rather have a twenty-two, a twenty-five and six St. Mary's team in versus a nineteen and fourteen Purdue team. You know, hypothetically. Because I know Purdue carries a name in the weight, but I'm like, if I get this other team in, the money's going to be there because everybody and their grandma, like literally, I could take, I can print out 20 brackets tomorrow, take them to the people in my office who know nothing about basketball. The 22-year-old airman who knows nothing about college basketball and just say, hey, these are the colors of the teams. And she can make her bracket off of the fact that I like burgundy more than I like green and move that (laughs) team over. And then in, invest her in the game by saying, yo, remember you picked that burgundy team over the green? They're up two or four minutes left. And she can come over and sit and watch one of the two sixiest TVs I have on my desk. And we're locked in. So the ratings will lock people in. I well, think. Yeah. Well, last year we just saw last year we just saw St. Peter's. You know, they knocked off my Wildcats. You know, they got to the Sweet 16 against Purdue. Um, down, oh, down to the Elite Eight. Jersey yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I love that. So, so college, so college basketball, truly, unless you're a 16 seed, you have a chance to win the national title, no matter who you are, no matter what conference you come from, no matter what city you're located in, you have the chance to win the national title. It's just one game, and all it takes is for somebody to get hot, you just like baseball. Three, like baseball. Can you, can you get? Can you get open? Can you get open? Yeah. Knock down. Can your team go? 17 for 24 from three in the first half. I mean, it's it's crazy, but if you can do that, 
like because Baylor, everyone talks about Baylor and how intensely they play defense and how they're always in your face. I watched the Kansas Baylor game. Baylor had Kansas on the rope in the first half. This was back when I was back in Utah. But the second half, when the Kansas shots started falling, or the guy on the wing made the perfectly timed pass to the guy cut into the hole and he got the layup in the and one, is like, yeah, your defense can be intense, but if guys are knocking down shots, it's not a matter of your defense being good or bad, but like if a guy seeing the ball go through the hoop and a team is seeing the ball go through the hoop, mm-hmm. and now you pressing, now you fouling, now you got free throws going through the hoop, now on your end, and it's home, or you get a home crowd, you get a home cookie, you get you know home refs, whatever the case may be. I think bas- college basketball has the greatest atmosphere to performance ratio to any other sport. Because right. I'm pretty sure Florida State used to go into Miami and beat Miami in the Orange Bowl, no matter how big the home crowd was, because you're beating your guy one-on-one. College basketball home court advantage, i.e., you talked about, you said Maryland, two and nine in a row, 16 and one at home. How was that? How was that the same team? We could talk about with the NBA, right. with Golden State. Their record on the road versus home is inversed. So it's like that home basketball, shoot the ball. Like if I'm screaming shoot it and then you're in an opponent's gym, you're thinking they're saying shoot it because you've been bricking. Mm-hmm. But if Jordan Poole, is home in Golden State, and somebody screams from the third row, shoot it. He's feeling it goes in. He looks at that dude in the crowd. They do a little hand signal. Everybody's feeling it. The bench is hype. When Steph was shooting threes, everyone turns around and put their three fingers up. So in college basketball, they have such an advantage there that I think you can you can overcome the fact that you're a 13 seed and beat a four simply because your guy's hot and your guy isn't. Yeah, and what I was going to say was baseball also has a great postseason just from the standpoint of a hot pitcher, you know, so the best team doesn't always win. Like whatever pitcher is hot at the time is generally going to get further into the playoffs. But a couple of quick other things I wanted to bring up before we switch topics here. So you brought up Providence and Kentucky. So the reason why that game is great for me, besides being a Kentucky fan, is Mr. Bryce Hopkins who left Kentucky last year because he wasn't getting any playing time. And he's probably going to be first team all Big East this season. So revenge matchup there. And then uh, the committee, the committee, they got, they got, so I'm not going to complain about the bracket. I'm not going to do, I mean, I'm not going to do the, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? But the one thing I will bring up is that you did a disservice to both Duke and Oral Roberts in that 5-12 matchup. Because Duke is the ACC champ, you know, playing against a team that has only lost once since Thanksgiving. You know, Oral Roberts has the nation's longest winning streak as a 12 seed. And the last loss was at New Mexico in a game that they scheduled the same week that they played it. So, you know, so both of those teams, I think, are quality teams that are sweet 16-ish teams. But somebody's not going to get there because they got matched up against each other. Yeah, somebody's yeah. got like, a lot of teams aspirations, but... Yeah. Yeah. So March, the seeding. I like the I like the human element of the seeding. I'm glad they don't use strict analytics or strict math. I like the fact that you know what, a team might be misseeded. It's not like I don't want perfect. I don't I don't want I don't want you to use all the numbers available and all the computer programs and all these other things. I don't need it perfect. I think people are 
inundated with this ideology of just perfect. I don't want it perfect. I want it consistent. So if you consistently every once in a while put a team at 12 that should be seven, then fine. That 12 would beat the five. My bracket will live on. You know, because if you think about it, you're only a fan of one team. There's 68 teams in this tournament. The likelihood of your team's going to win it. We talked about Jim Beheim. We talked about uh, we talked about Jim Calhoun. We talked about Shashevsky. These are some of Dean Smith, uh, Roy Williams, Bill Self. We talked about these guys. I think all those names I ran off, legends, probably we're looking at like 200 years, 200 plus years of coaching between the, the collective group. They probably got like yeah, like Bayham and Coach K are about eighty-eight by themselves. Yeah, they probably got about twelve to fourteen championships between them in all those years of coaching. So basketball doesn't weigh heavily so much on the end result championship. I just think that their tournament format is just people are so engaged in Final Four that we forgot how much we love this Final Four. Like it's it was. It was literally the marquee sports moment of the year. It was, in my opinion, I think growing up, I think it might have been better than the Super Bowl because Super Bowl was like, yeah, it was one and done. But you can tell throughout the year who's likely going to be your Super Bowl champion. You remember those years when it was like greatest show on turf or the Titans or when Atlanta got high, they just wouldn't, you know, stop winning. Maybe you would have thought the Vikings would have beat them in that NFC Championship game and it didn't go the same way. But you can look throughout the course of the year. You can't look at college basketball and tell me in December, you know what team definitively going to win the National Championship. You can't tell me in January. Hell, you can't tell me February 27th what team is definitely going to win. You got to put all your, all your pay you get for the month of March for whatever your income is. You're banking on this one team. I don't know how many people full on confident. I think that's the beauty part of it. And I think that's the part I like about the brackets being picked by humans. If you go math, man, you can have like you go one through 68. It'll be chalk. It won't have your Oral Roberts versus Duke. Because now you're like, this team hasn't lost since Thanksgiving. Duke's good. Duke's a, you know, but they got a young coach. Mm-hmm. And you, so you, you give me intrigue. You took Thursday and Friday off work. You're not taking that off work. Every year. You're not taking Every that year. off work if it's like uh, this same team's going to win it off. You're not taking a day off to watch Alabama versus. Well, well this is the one sport. Game. Is it, you just know, like, yeah, that's fine. This is the one sport. This is the one sport that I don't get mad if I'm wrong. You know, like if I, if I get mad about the college football playoff, if I say Ohio State is going to beat Georgia and then they don't do it, I'm mad. Or if I bet some money saying that, you know what, uh, the Lakers are going to beat the Grizzlies in game seven and I get it wrong, then I'm upset because I lost some money. But in college basketball, I want the chaos. I don't necessarily want to be wrong, but when I'm wrong, that either means some kind of history is happening, i.e., sorry, Raph. UMBC over Virginia, some kind of history is happening. Always bring you know, up. Or, or you get your George Masons, your VCUs, Butler made the national title back to back. You get that type of stuff when you're wrong, because I didn't have any of that. Shout out to Indiana. You know, so, and and you know, and, and not only that, but VCU came from the first four. You know, so they weren't even comfortably in the field. They came from the first four and made a Final Four run. You know, so. 
Cinderella run had Virginia in a blaze. VCU came right back and did it again. The Butler back-to-back years in the championship game. People forget that Florida won it back-to-back. Billy Donovan, Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford. That's the last team to win it back-to-back. And But the thing about it, that shouldn't even happen. The odds of this yeah. for a team to win it back-to-back years is like they won it back-to-back. So Butler being in it back-to-back year, not only being in it, they like I said, a couple inches away from winning it one year against Duke with Gordon right. Hayward. Right. And then the following year being a competitive game. But it's something about when they play those games at basketball stadiums. I've heard like the backdrop is throws players off because the the courts are essentially you know, like on the 50 yard line of a football field. Right. Yeah. So the visual peripherals are off. Perception and it's like it's kind of off. But if you're a shooter, you're a shooter. You, you can make it work. But yeah. like, you know, and, and remember and remember when Butler did that. They were in the Horizon League. They weren't even in the Big East yet. No, so, no. you know, so, so that made it even more impressive. But with that being said, you know, let's look at these NBA teams, you know. So bottom six. So um, looking at the standings, I ended up with Detroit, Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, Orlando, and Indiana. So those were the bottom six at the time that I pulled these numbers. So um, oh, I got so let me pull up. So I got the I got the mock draft pre NCAA tournament edition. So I got Detroit with the first overall pick. I got Houston at two, San Antonio three, Charlotte four, Orlando five, Washington Wizards six. Mm-hmm. That's what you had. Yeah. Well, no, I had I had Indiana, but um, that was from last week, so the standings have changed. Yeah, so, so we can go to the Wizards, though. We can yeah, go to the Wizards. Indiana, because I think they they they're both like thirty one and thirty eight or thirty one and thirty seven. Yeah, so, so they're all in the play in. Like uh, Washington, Indiana, Chicago, and Toronto are all like fighting for the play in within like a game, game and a half of each other. So I'll, so I can take Indiana like 10 out. Teams in, in your bottom, it's like about ten teams in your bottom six. Yeah, so out of, so out of the teams that you just named, which one would you say has the brightest future? Brightest future. Uh, any of the other twenty-two to twenty-four teams. <laughs> Georgia, Portland. I think like Portland because I got, I got Portland seven. Like I said, the thirty-one and thirty-eight, thirty-one, thirty-seven record. Portland. In the West and even, you know, Indiana in the East, like it can change. You went three or four games in a row, which is possible when you have when you have scores, you have big men, you have, you know, you play defense or whatever. You can you can run off a few wins in a row, especially if you're playing like, say, the Pacers. I don't know what their schedule is right now, but say they, they got a game against Orlando. They got a game against the Wizards and they got a game against this in one one calendar week. Okay, you can go from 31 wins to 34 rather easily because those teams are top five really loose. The the problem is the NBA, there's not it seems as if there is a a benefit to losing and getting the top pick. The problem is this. It's not sustainable. So if you look at a team like the Hornets, the Hornets are one of those teams that are in that in that mix. So you got them at four. So they drafted Lamelo Ball. You know, you signed free agents. You had uh, Boy Bridges. 
but you know whatever worked out there and then you have Terry Rozier you got Jordan running the thing so what happens is they were hot last year they were like the like oh they're they're on they're on the come up so then what happens when they're uh when their come up falls off they get desperate so guys who show up there as free agents thinking okay they got a Lamella ball Rozier they got the they got the number four pick they show up and it's like none of this is working so now they want to blow the whole thing up so a lot of those teams at the bottom just blow the whole thing up every single year you want to hear something funny real quick listen all right so the reason that the hornets don't have the brightest future is because some people say Michael Jordan is the GOAT, but when it comes to this owner and drafting stuff, he's the woke. So just real quick, I'm going to say these two things, and then I'm going to give it right back to you. But so <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> went 15th in the draft. Now, of course, this is looking back. You know what I mean? Like nobody knew at the time Giannis was going to turn it, but this is just looking backwards. Perspective. They took Cody Zeller at number four in that draft. Yeah, and I got one more. I got one more. In 2017, they took my guy Malik Monk from Kentucky at number 11, right? So Donovan Mitchell went 13. Bam Adebayo went 14th. And John Collins went 19th. And then, of course, 2018, the last one, then I'll give it back to you. You brought up Miles Bridges. How did they get Mile Bridges, you ask? Because they traded Shea Gilgis Alexander for him. <laughs> so the answer to this question is not the Hornets. <laughs> oh, absolutely not the Hornets. <laughs> we, like I said, we talked about this before. If I'm an owner and I got five guys on the bench that aren't seeing the floor, how is that the case? How are you good enough to make it to the NBA, but I have a coaching staff that can't find a spot for you on the floor? Like, how are you so inept as a basketball player that I have you on the team, you're getting your league minimum 750000 whatever that number is, but I can't find you on the floor? That's the problem. So you have a team like, for instance, we'll go back with the Hornets. The Hornets have three first-round picks. First one being fourth. Like you said, there's a consensus top three players. So they're fourth. So they got this guy, Amin Thompson. Um, he has a brother, Isaiah Thompson, potentially going to Orlando. Orlando has, what we got? Orlando has two. They got Paolo, the rookie of the year. They got the rookie of the year. They got two first round picks. The problem is when you are that bad, you often have changeovers in multiple key places in the front office that run concurrently with your draft selection. So 2022 draft, they get Pablo. If they are, if they fall into the number one and number two slot this year, then it's potential that you get rid of the GM. So now you get a new GM in and he drafts a guy so the expectation ramps back up. It's like, oh, we got another top three pick. Like I said, they got two in the first round. The team like the Hornets got three. So now you set another expectation that we're going to get two or three young guys. And then you get them in. And when it doesn't work, 
you get a guy who maybe came there as a free agent, maybe got has been there for a while, he leaves. Mm-hmm. So Charlotte, you got a guy like Terry Rozier. He came from Boston, you know, like, I'm going to see what I can get popping down here in Charlotte. And it's like, none of this is working. You're in a 30-team league where 20 teams make the playoffs, and you're not making that opportunity. It's like, why am I playing in the bottom third of this league? Get me out of here. So you get sent to another team. It just seems like there's this idea that the NBA has, you know, cultivated this. Oh, you do you're doing terrible. You get the top overall pick. NFL is big on that. You know, you worst record in the league, you get the number one pick. But in NFL, it's not as much turnover and it's not as many opportunities for you to go different places. Five man NBA team, you're like, you know what, Terry Rozier, like, I'll go to LA and be seventh off the bench just to play with LeBron or play with AD. Whereas the NFL is like, listen, if you're offensive tackle, you're not going to another team that already has two starting tackles. You're just staying in Jacksonville. You're just staying in the, with the Giants. You're staying with the Jets. And then they get the number one pick, number two pick, number three pick. They make a move. And then your team, your team starts to build. So in a couple of years, you can go from worst to first. Every year it happens. We talk about this with the playoff format. In the NBA, the idea is there, but when it comes down to a draft night, there's always a bunch of bad trades. The Luca for Trey Young trade. You know, there's always Kobe got traded, you know, for Vladdy Divots. It's always like these trades where people just kind of overthink it to the point where you get a guy like Mikel Bridges that goes from Phoenix to Brooklyn, you give him the ball. Now he's dropping 30 point games every other game. It's like the talent is. Kawhi in San Antonio when he went to Toronto. People didn't think that Kawhi could lead a team. Granted, some injuries and things happened all the way, but he did hit the shot against Philly. He did, you know, they still, you know, granted, they didn't call the travel, so it didn't happen. But he did lead their team, the mid-range jump shot, so it was like, okay. But in San Antonio, he was a 16, 15, 14, 15, 16 point a game guy. So it can happen. It's just in the NBA, there's almost no patience. Dwayne Casey won coach of the year in Toronto, and they fired him. So that's the problem. The NBA has no patience. So their format of tanking to get a guy, for instance, San Antonio is tanking to get Wimbayama. Well, as of right now, mathematically, they're third. And they're going to end up, you know, potentially could draft Brandon Miller. But you're tanking to get the best one or two players in the draft and still might end up third because Houston's so dysfunctional to the point where there's rumors they want to bring James Harden back. Like, we don't remember two years ago when he did a press conference saying these guys can't win. So it's just the NBA, more than NFL GMs, they just grasp the straws. And I think most of these teams are in the bottom six. We can, without, without even really thinking about it, the Spurs have been awful for a few years, correct? The Pistons have been awful for a few years. They just drafted Kay Cunningham a couple years ago. The Rockets have been terrible for the last few years. They just drafted Jalen Green and the boy used to play with LeBron, something like Josh Smith or something like that. The Hornets, we know Michael Jordan just historically hasn't been a good GM to the point where he hasn't been able to put a good team together. Like he hasn't been able to put a playoff caliber team together ever in Charlotte. So <laughs> that means they're going to be bad. 
So you got the Pacers. The Pacers have good talent, but they traded the wrong. They traded Sabonis. You know, they just trade. They just make the wrong trades. Like the Kings, we thought the Kings would be the same boat, but you know they lucked out. But certain teams are just so poorly run. Portland, they traded Josh Hart during warmups. This is like some of these teams just make such bad moves, and I think. I think they're inundated with the resumes of these guys who come in to be GMs and vice president player personnel, or you play golf with the right guy. And that person might not know what they're doing, but their MBA from Yale or their, you know, advanced degree from Stanford blinds you because some of these moves are so bad. And I think that's why these teams are in these predicaments. So I was looking at Indiana. Um, They do have the talent, you know, Coming out of college, I absolutely loved Tyrese Halliburton. And, you know, at the time that he was traded for Sabonis, I honestly thought the Kings should have traded De'Aaron Fox. You know, you could go either way because right now De'Aaron Fox leading the league in clutch baskets. So, you know, I can't say the Kings made the wrong decision. But uh, they also have Buddy Hield, you know, who is the lead league leader and made three-pointers this season. They picked up Ben Matherin from Arizona, so he's their rookie that's doing well. The first three or four games of the season, he scored more points coming off the bench than any rookie had ever scored in history. Um, Miles Turner, they got to figure out what they're doing there because he's their version of John Collins, who ends up in trade talks every year but never goes anywhere. But Indiana also has a championship-winning coach. They got Rick Carlisle. So depending on what kind of timetable they're on, you calm. know, that could be good for them. Calm down. He, he's got one. He's no Eric Spolster. You, um, Spolster. I mean, yeah. Spol, I mean, the guy, the moves. Spol went to the finals. Hey, all I know is, all I know is they played in a final. Bucks. They coached in a finals against each other, and Carlisle came out on top. But, yeah. you know, um, so I was Spol looking at Detroit. And then he took Jimmy Butler to one. But it's cool. Carry on. No, you, you, brought up, you brought up Detroit. So I think Detroit has a core now. You know, they have not only do they have Kate Cunningham, but they have Jaden Ivey. You know, he's their rookie this year that's coming on late because uh, Cunningham only played a few games this season before having a shin injury. So he's been out ever since. So he's just resting up, getting ready for next season. You know, but they also just picked up James Wiseman, who has been putting up some decent numbers since they got him. They got Jalen Duran. A basketball games is me. <laughs> they have Boban Bojanovic together. They have all these pieces put together, but none of it is sustainable. So people lose their jobs. Because if I'm a GM of Detroit and I get fired and you come in, you're not going to look at the roster I put together and say, this has promise. You're like, I got a bunch of injuries. Well, well, the thing is, is that they're all young. I mean, even how old is Wiseman? You know, Wiseman's not older than 23, you know. Um, <laughs> Couple of days older than my son. My son ain't twenty. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. My, my, so, yeah. so, so, so they still got a core. But what I fear, because their coach just happens to be the aforementioned Dwayne Casey. So what I'm afraid of is that they're gonna move on from him. You know, at some point, you know, because you gotta have results. You can have all the talent you want. You gotta have results. You gotta have. But it. I like, I like <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah, I like what they're doing. We'll see what who they end up with. If they could get Brandon Miller, that would be a good look. So, you know, because I was looking at this, um, the mock drafts, like you mentioned, and, you know, Wimba Yana, Yama, you know, depending on who you talk to, he's getting comparisons to KD. He's getting comparisons to this is what Porzingis is supposed to be or was supposed to be. You know, I look at Brandon Miller. 
People are calling him Paul George. I probably see a little bit more Danny Granger, but neither here nor there. You know, same concept. But and then that is career short. And then Scoot Henderson, you know, these comparisons piss me off because I got what the comparison said was he's a comparison of Dirk Rose and prime Russell Westbrook. It's basically the same dude. Basically the same dude. You know what I mean? So so what those are your top do, three. What do you do with See, that's the thing. But if you're Houston, the problem is you're going to keep drafting these wing players. And then you're going to have young wing players who are essentially by default in competition. Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't gel, then it just becomes competition. So it's a matter of do we have the veteran leadership necessary to guide them, which I don't think they have. I think they gave Silas a job, his opportunity. I don't know how long that lasts. It just oh, he it, gone. It's like so, like it just it's just these ebbs and flows of the NBA, and I think there's this expectation that because in the NBA you bring in the right one or two pieces, it could change your whole fortune. Like for instance, if you don't have, if you have a couple of guys that are out for too long, you know, you got a couple of guys, Chris Middleton in Milwaukee. People talked about how many games he's missed and how how much he's missed by not being there. So in the NBA, I think this is this narrative and this expectation that if we bring in the right guy and you bring in a guy with the right comparisons, i.e. prime Derrick Rose, prime MVP Russell Westbrook, this is the same dude. You bring that guy in and then you pair him with Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. It's like, oh, we got something here. Well, does it make sense? Can this can these two guys play without the ball while this guy is your prime Derrick Rose distributor? Does your coach have a system that fit him? And I don't think teams in the NBA that 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 hover around the bottom, these teams that don't make the play in, I don't think they have that part figured out yet. And I, that's why every single year you have the same teams drafting in the top six or seven. Hey, Scoot, Scoot got this Westbrook. Rose thing down. He's only shooting 27.5% from three. But, uh, you know, so also in Houston... He's going to take him number two overall. Yeah. So so also, so also in Houston, they have Jabari Smith from Auburn, who's been playing well. So, you know, um, they have, have some pieces. I'm probably getting rid of Kenyon Martin Jr., you know, in this scenario, you know, to get somebody else in there. But they're not the answer to the question, because their owner has short arms and deep pockets. You know, for Tita, that dude is not spending the any money. All right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He's not spending any money. Money. Harden, ain't, I don't think Harden's going back there. And if Harden does go what back is, there, all it's doing is blowing up whatever they're working on anyway. So like for the purposes, going back to the Air Force. <laughs> and, and then I would be remiss. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about my Wizards, who probably have a worse GM than the Hornets. You know, so we got Kuzma now. You know, got Porzingis in there, so we're going to have to pay Kuzma, I guess. You know, we got Black Brad, you know, a.k.a. Bradley Beal. You know who Nick Smith is compared to. But, you know, but when I look at this, you just got to strip it down. Like, everything the Spurs are doing is what the Wizards should be doing to build some kind of future because you're not going to win with Bradley Beal as your number one. And that's no disrespect to him. It just is what it is. You know, but so for the purposes of this conversation— I like Orlando because, you know, as we mentioned, 
Paulo Bancaro is probably going to be the rookie of the year. He's basically the runaway. You know, they also have Franz Wagner. They've seen to rejuvenate Bobo. You know, he's been playing well this season. Uh, Wendell Carter. More run in general. Like, I don't know why his his opportunities were so limited in Denver. Well, I mean, he he had to have been sleeping with the coach's wife or something. That's the only thing I can come up with. It doesn't make any sense. So you have, like, because everyone keeps comparing Wimiyama. Like, they're saying, oh, you've never seen anything like it before. And, like, Bo Bo is like, um, I've been in the league for years. I don't yeah. anything that he does. Like, how come I'm not yeah. Just doesn't make any sense. If I'm a coach, I'm looking now. Like, so I got a seven foot two dude that can handle the ball and shoot the jump, shoot the J. Like, mm-hmm. put him in the yeah, game. They also have. They also have the double-double machine known as Wendell Carter, you know, who's still young, um, from Chicago Bull fame. Um, they Then guard-wise, they have Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, and look, look and behold, Markel Fultz is back. He's better than Ben Simmons. You know, he's- That's the thing. These teams, they acquired, they had these young, talented guys, but it's not really a formula to make it work. And you need a perfect formula for a lot of that stuff to work. You, right. you, you have to have the right intellectual pieces in place for the physical pieces to succeed. And I think what happens with teams is that they don't marry the two. And when you do, you get Milwaukee. You get Nick Nurse in Tennessee. You get Thibodeau with any team he coaches in the regular season. You get the intellectual piece with the physical piece, and it, and it marries. Mm-hmm. What happens is you get inundated with the fact that you are, you have the number one pick in Detroit, and you're going to get this guy, Victor, and he's going to come in, and you're not going to know how to get him, Ivy, and Cunningham, and Wiseman, and Maxwell on the floor together to where... <laughs> they can perform and get you 112 points. You need 116 points. So if you don't have that, you can have all this talent in the world. If you look at the Charlotte, like the Charlotte teams, they've had talent, but it's like, how do you make it work? And that's the thing. So when you, when it doesn't work, they end up in these same spots. How often is Detroit drafted in the top five or six in the last few years? 20 oh, yeah. teams make the playoffs the last few years. 20 teams. Yeah. And they're not in the they're yeah. not in the running and out of it in the and granted. December. And granted. And granted, Orlando's probably not gonna make the play in. But they're only about three games out of the play in. So, you know, so they're right there, you know. Um, but uh, but is the answer is not the Spurs because Popovich is on his way out. And looking at that roster, I'm just, yeah, you know, they got Keldon Johnson from Kentucky. They got one of the Jones brothers, you know, Tyus and Trey. I think they got Trey, you know, uh, but then they got, they got Jeremy's Miss Rodman. They got, yeah, they got Jeremy Sohan, who, who to me is the hybrid of, I mean, it's redundant, but he's a hybrid of Rodman and Draymond, you know, the same way that Scoot is Dirt Rose and you know, yeah. same guy, but but you know, but ability with a lot of energy that. If yeah, so, so looking ball, at this, he run the ball to Draymond, so that's his impact. Screen. Right. So so looking so looking at this, yeah. so so looking at this, I like Houston's talent. 
you know, um, like you mentioned, is not going to go anywhere and, and Fertitta is not going to do the right thing. So just for the purposes of this, I think I like Orlando out of those bottom six. And the Wizards are still going to be, we're going to be having this conversation 10 years from now, saying the same exact thing that we just said five minutes ago, insert somebody else instead of Bradley Beal. They gave him $200 million, right? Oh, yeah, they did. You know, and so and he's going to ask out by All-Star break next year. You know, but, you know, I would be proactive and get rid of him at the end of the offseason. I mean, at this offseason coming up. So, you know, because I mean, at this point, what are you going to do? You're, you're probably going to pay Kuzma. You got uh, Porzingis, you know, and right now you're barely on the edge of the play in with those three. So I can't imagine that they're just going to get better suddenly and not, you know what I mean? Had the the Bulls and like I think the Bulls kind of got mixed in this too because they're thirty one and thirty six. <coughs> yeah, I think the Bulls need a new coach. I think it, this is a difficult this is a difficult year to gauge the NBA because it feels like everybody's equally as good and equally as mediocre. Yeah, there's a yeah. few standouts here and there, but then you have a team like Denver that's to stand out, but then the last three games have been all oh. highlighted that, you know, Jokic is... Oh, and by the way, and by the way, because I know you were wondering, yes, Denver just lost again. They just lost to the Toronto Raptors. So, you know, what's up, Jokic? But, um, you know, but yeah, so, but I can tell you two things that are not mediocre. Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia are not mediocre. So, Raph, we got a big fight coming up on April 22. Big fight. Combine. This is a Yeah, this is a catchweight fight, so there's no title. Catchweight fight, so no title on the line. What we looking at? I looked at that that whole catchweight part. And it it kind of it's kind of bothersome. Because Garcia essentially can't be more than like 146 pounds like the day before the fight, but like he could be whatever he wants when he walks into the ring. I think Davis is kind of setting it up the way the way Mayweather used to use his leverage in fights, I think is something that he's taught his protégés. It's just that it's the equivalent of Michael Jordan teaching other guys who play two guard how to get the two dribble pull up off when you're jordan or you're kobe yeah it looks like you're creating two or three feet of extra space off that dribble just by pulling that move but it's nuanced to it and i think a lot of guys follow mayweather I remember adrian broner was one of those guys that try to he tried to use, he tried to over insert his personality into stuff, brush his hair all the time, arguing with the post ring. But when he got into the ring, Mayweather didn't stand there and let you just throw a bunch of punches at him and dodge a ball. He counterpunched. And then he let people, like, yeah, you might have wanted him to knock people out, but he's like, listen, I'm going to walk around this ring for 36 minutes. I'm going to leave this ring without a swelling. I'm not going to use the ice. I'm not going to use anything on my face because I'm so good defensively. I- do this so i think a lot of guys who are mentored by mayweather try to take that aspect where they kind of try to take the fight into their own hands the pre-fight the schedule the contract the money the location the date and all this other stuff 
And I don't think guys have that kind of cachet. Garcia, handsome dude. He's been a big buzz on social media for three or four years. Davis, tough guy, big knockouts, late in fights. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. If I had to pick right now, I watched, like we were talking about this the other day, I watched the conversation, I believe it was between Devin Haney, Javante Davis, and like a third person, and they were talking about the way Garcia fights and how he like rocks his head back to avoid punches. And each one of them, when they, they, they saw that, they said, oh, that's why I would catch him. I'd catch him right there. So then in one of Garcia's fights, he got caught by a guy. I'm not sure who it was, but he got caught by a guy knocking him down. He was doing that same move because they say, oh, the way he sticks his chin up like that, so he sticks his chin up. So I think mm-hmm. yeah, he was life, fighting. He was fighting Luther Campbell in that fight. Yeah, so he he, he got caught, and I think um, I think Tank being a low to the ground fighter, he can time out his punches. Like his uppercut is what he's famous for. Um. I still know. Can you get the uppercut off on a guy that you're five and a half inches shorter than? Because they got Ryan Garcia five ten, um, mm-hmm. Davis at five five yeah. and a half. You got four and a half inches on him. You use your reach. You know, normally he's taller than most of the guys that he fights. His knockout rate is not as high; it's only eighty two percent, whereas Davis is ninety two percent. So it's going to be tough. If I had to pick, in just looking at it, I'm going to go with the. The southpaw with the higher knockout percentage, I'm going to go Davis. I don't know what round. I'm going to say I'm going to go Davis. I'm going to go Tank TKO 10th round. Um, so you mentioned the knockdown that uh, Garcia suffered. It was against Luther Campbell. And I think what concerned me about it was that it was in the second round. You know, so like normally if I see something like that outside of Deontay Wilder, you know, it's normally like, fifth, sixth round, you, you've you been computing the data, and then all of a sudden you got the kill shot and you go for it. Um, you know, where I think Garcia has a chance um, is the hand speed. You know, his hands are quick. I'll give him that. And he has uh, the four-inch reach. So, you know, he has that going for him. So Tank's going to have to work to get in there. And I know, a little bit different because I'm not a professional, but I was sparring with my guy, Kerry Dozier, and all six foot seven of him, and, you know, we, we we went ding, 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 and it went just like this. Two steps forward, eat leather. Two more steps, eat leather. Punch him in the stomach two, three times, run backwards. You know, that was what I yeah. had to do. But, you know, so Tank ain't going to run from him. But the one thing that um, I love about Tank is because people focus on the knockouts, which, you know, it's a knockout. But he has really good IQ, you know, and he has his own speed himself. And don't forget the last fight that he fought, he made the dude quit and the dude said he couldn't see him. Hector Garcia. So, you know, um, that was going into the ninth round. But where I think Garcia can have success besides the hand speed is if he goes back to the Romero fight, you know, against Tank Davis. So they were talking a lot of trash coming into the fight. And, you know, when I going into the fight, I said, oh, Romero, you're going to get your ass whooped while you do that. So as the fight was going on, these first five rounds, he was going toe to toe with Tank. You know, he was he was landing some shots. He was taking a little bit of stuff, but Tank wasn't getting off, so to speak. You know, he was going. But then round six came and I was sitting there and I said, huh, Romero might have a chance to win this fight until 
He went jackrabbit. He came out in round six for no reason, just throwing all kinds of slugs at Tank. And I'm like, dude, stick to the game plan. Stick to the game plan. You're here in round six where a lot of people didn't even have you getting to this point. Yeah. Stay the course. That's what Ryan Garcia has to do. He has to stay the course. He can't. If Tank gives. You think that they, the pressure to, because we've seen boxing, you had, like, if we can run off the top of our head, like, I'm going to call myself a casual boxing fan. I'm a sports fan, casual boxing fan. You had Joshua Ortiz. You had the Wilder fights with Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury fought one or two people, I think, in between the Wilder fights. You never got the Joshua Wilder fight. Granny's are heavyweights. Mayweather is still out here doing exhibitions. You got Jake Paul that's pulling in 30 or 40 million to fight best basketball players and MMA fighters, and he just caught a loss. You think it's going to be pressure for a guy like Garcia, who's basically, he, he's cut his teeth in his social media buzz. His boxing talent, like, you just, when he, when he hits you with that left hand, it doesn't look like he puts a lot of, like, extra, like, well, Mike Tyson threw a left hand. His whole body contorted, like, his, his legs disconnected and spun around, and you can tell he was putting everything he had into that left hook. Mm-hmm. Garcia just is so quick. He comes over the top a lot of times with a guy's right shoulder, and he gets a quick knockout. Dude's just falling over the place, and he gets the highlight real knockout. Do you think he's going to feel pressure to get that same kind of knockout on Davis and then he does what Romero does and gets too close and gets caught? Because if they go 12 rounds and it's just like a tactical fight, I don't know if people are going to want to see it again. You know, well, that's, The money's in a rematch. Right, right, right. Well, see, I think that could be something that comes back to bite Garcia because, to me, he's relatively inexperienced. I mean, he's only had 22 fights. You know, granted, he's undefeated, but only 22 fights. Tank has about six or seven more than him. So so from that so from that standpoint, that's where I'm kind of like, we saw you get knocked down. What other fighters have you fought that have given you the type of adversity that you may run into with Tank? So that's have where I'm a little concerned. Have any of them give you that adversity? Because that's like I said, that was another part of the conversation. Like, here, you're, fight, you're not fighting anybody. But mm-hmm. if you... If you have the, the the hand speed and the strength to knock out Davis, doesn't matter who you fought. Yeah, yeah, you knocked out everybody. Yeah, yeah. Out all it takes is one. Twenty-three opponents, but all it takes is Davis southpaw slipping and getting caught with a left hand. And it's like, well, you know, that's my concern with uh, that's my concern with Earl Spence and Bud Crawford. Whereas, like, I think Crawford is the better boxer, but Spence puts so much pressure on you. That Bud is the type of dude that waits a few rounds to try to figure you out, and then he catches you, you know, but he's not fighting anybody. So so that's where, like, Spence has been tested. Now, you could argue Bud hasn't been tested because he hasn't fought anybody, but, yeah. you know, but Spence has yeah. been tested. So when that, so that's what – Tank has been tested. So when those moments of adversity come or those moments of doubt come, I feel Tank is better equipped to respond, you know, where Garcia, like you said, he might get frustrated, go the Romero route, or he might turn into a dancer, you know, where he's swinging like two, three punches. Maybe he just backs up and dances for, you know, a little bit of the round or whatever the case. So that way he can ensure that he doesn't get knocked out in a particular round. 
But, you know, but once Tank gets his hands on him, I'm interested to see how he responds to that. Because what is his chin? You know, we saw him get knocked down. It was only one time, you know, so I don't want to make snap judgments off of a one-time incident. But if Tank gets his hands on him, he's going down. You know, so Garcia literally stay the course, you know, whatever that plan is. You can't deviate, you know, just like if you're in the NBA, you're playing against the best players. You're playing against Giannis. You know what I mean? He might come out and get 21 and eight in the first half, but you got to stay the course. You got to stay the course because eventually you're going to have to follow him and put him on the free throw line and he might make a mistake. We haven't seen Tank make that mistake yet. But if, if Garcia can hang around a little bit, that hand speed, the reach, Tank having to work his way in, there's a high chance that Tank could, there's a probability that he could make a mistake. But I don't think Garcia can knock Tank out. That's the only problem. You know, like, I think he can win a decision. Come but close. I don't see him knocking him out. Is that? I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get the odds, but for some reason, the website. You know, uh, um, <clears throat> but, but, you know, um, but besides, I brought up Spence and Crawford. So besides that, this is the fight right now. This is the fight in boxing right now. So I think with um, Garcia having the low experience, like I mentioned, the the low amount of fights, you know, I think that's something that could come back to bite him because this thing is going to, that arena is going to be electric. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the moment. Vegas, I mean, Vegas in of itself is just, I mean, you'll hear me talk about Vegas. I love Vegas. I think, I think every year, Vegas deserves three major sporting events. Either the NCAA tournament, can you imagine the gamblers? I think there needs to be two or three boxing matches. So I think boxing get there. There, I think the Pro Bowl should just permanently be in Vegas. Maybe even a draft. I mean, I think just Vegas is just such it's such an adult playground kind of city. Can you show up and do the presser? And go back to your home hotel room and just eat whatever your diet is. Can you do the presser or do you do the presser? Do you do Floyd Mayweather's podcast or interview? Do you go to a dinner at this place? Do you go to Mayweather's strip club? Do you go to this restaurant's opening? Like, can you get to Vegas Monday? Because you know that the press junk is going to have your schedule jam-packed. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in Vegas four or five days. Can you get there and stay the course? Can you get there, do the interview with ESPN, or do the interview with Showtime, or do the interview with whoever you have to do the interview with, and then go back, get your sleep, go work out, go mm-hmm. back to get your sleep. Do you bring all your boys with you? Do you have them staying on the same floor? Are they in a different part of the hotel so you can get your peace? How do you manage all the ancillary stuff that goes around? Because we, we, I heard it from um, what's the boy named Ortiz after he lost to uh, or Dave, Anthony Ruiz after he lost to uh, Ruiz after he lost to um, Joshua. Joshua, he was, yeah. He was like, after I beat Joshua, I just was on this high. Like I was going everywhere. People wanted to interview me. I was going to Mexico. I was going on vacation. I was buying shots of tequila. I was eating this food. I was doing everything because it wasn't like he was like super tight fit in the fight against Joshua. So in his mind, I can keep doing what I've been doing. I'm the heavyweight champ. 
and he goes out there in his next fight and he loses. So are people, are they, are these guys looking at what those guys did? Because it's it's gonna take a lot. It takes a lot of focus, man. Vegas, man, it's easy to get distracted. All you gotta do is leave. You could be sounds a lot home. like sounds a lot like Buster Douglas and you know um, Gervonta, my fellow Baltimorean. <sighs> Please don't get locked up before this fight. Don't hit your woman. I know he had a Please problem. Please don't get locked up. Violence. Violence. You gotta get you, you know. Gotta, got to get under control like it's and i know he shouldn't get under control for the sake of boxing because you know he's a marquee you got to get under control for the sake of existence so like who can who has the better camp who listens to the who has the better voice in their ear is de la hoya going to be able to tell garcia like man this is how big this moment is can he can he recall his mayweather fight like listen the mayweather fight I did this or I didn't do this or the Trinidad, you know, I did this or I didn't do this or the, the Fernando Vargas fight. Like, Oh, I was so locked in that all I did was sit in my dark hotel room and light up incense and candles and watch Dr. Phil, whatever it is that you did. Yeah. Is he going to have, is Garcia going to open his ears up and allow that information to come in? Is there anybody in Davis's camp that says, listen, cool. You can do the podcast from your room if you want to do a podcast. You don't have to go to this particular person's house because there's always a lot of influencers in Vegas. Right. Real estate is cheap. There's going to be a lot of people in town for the fight. You don't need to go to this person's suite to do it. You could do it from here and be done. Eat your peanut butter sandwich or whatever. Get your rest. like Because that's what it's going to be. Because your, your talent, your skills already there. The way you get spread, like, how did, what did you do the night before? What did you do the night before the Super Bowl? Oh, we were out, hanging out, just trying to relax. We went to Top Golf. We were in bed by eight. Cool. Hey, yeah, we were out trying to relax, man. I, you know, I hit up a promoter I know. He took us to a club and we got a booth. Nobody drank, but we were up late, cigar smoke, hookah smoke, girls, whatever the case may be. The dudes that went to Top Golf, they probably in bed by 9, 30, 10 o'clock, up for the morning walkthrough. Meanwhile, you're at a club at 1 a.m. Granted, yeah, you're not drinking, but are you going to be as refreshed at 8 or 9 a.m. as a guy who went to Top Golf, hung out, had his camaraderie? So, you know, it's, it's, it's especially in boxing, you know, like round the round, you get hit too hard in one round, you might want to give up. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't get, get enough sleep. You know, you didn't do this. You, you overcommitted yourself for interviews. Trying to expose the fight. The fight's gonna sell itself. You gotta sell the fight once you're in the ring. So um after this fight, depending on how it goes, we may get a trilogy out of this. Um, are there some other fighters out there that uh you'd like to see these guys get with? I saw what I would like, I would like multiple fights with Eight to ten different guys happen. Just like I, I still want to see Joshua Wilder. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the record is. I just want to see it because even if you felt like they both fell off, essentially mm-hmm. fell off at the same rate, but you still mm-hmm. match six foot five versus six foot six, six foot seven, big marquee matchup, England versus Alabama, like. You know, revolutionary war style. Let's get this popping. 
Um, I know Haney and Lemachenko, I think they're working on something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's potentially May. I, don't, I think it was a projected date. I don't know if it's solidified with all this other sports news popping up. You, you know, you got to make sure you get all information. I don't know if that's a thing. I just think that the fights that fans want to see Crawford Spence stop crashing cars. I mean, like, just keep yourself healthy for these fights. And I get that. I'm not trying to say you need to be ready for my entertainment, but for your sport. Pacquiao Mayweather, I was in Las Vegas for that fight that weekend. It was financial chaos that weekend, and it was glorious. The strip, like if people haven't been to Vegas, the strip is like five lanes each way. That intersection, MGM Graham, New York, New York, Tropicana, where Tupac got shot, rest in peace. That is a five-lane highway, like street each way. When I was coming back, we watched the fight on pay-per-view at a friend's house for a little party. When I was coming back to our hotel, because we were staying at the Luxor, when I came off the interstate, it was brake lights all the way up one way, and it was headlights the other way. It was packed chaos. $3,000 to get a table at a bar, $175 to get in. I think Mayweather and Pacquiao split like $300 million in pay-per-view and per. I mean, it was chaos. And all it was was that these two dudes kept the buzz up. You got to make this fight happen. You got to make the next fight happen. You got to make the trilogy happen. You got to make it happen quick. It got to be 18 months. I'm not trying to be waiting around 2025 for the third fight. (laughs) And then you got to get Haney Lemonchenko. Once they fight, maybe you flip that. You guys meet at 140, whatever it is. Because you're going to drive, the price of the brick will go up if you're consistent. Don't argue over, yo, 60-40 on the, the the initial purse. Listen, get the pay-per-view money. Get that money. Don't be concerned that it might be a $100 million fight and this guy might get 57 and you get 43. Do the fight at 57 and 43. Next one, you do 51, 49, whatever the case may be. But people are going to want to see the fight a second time around. But if you're only concerned with the fact that if I get knocked out, we won't get the rematch, the fight's going to look boring. You're going to dance around for 36 minutes. And people are like, I flew out to Vegas for this. I paid. Yeah. I would like to see see Shakur Stevenson get involved, you know. Um, And, of course, there's Teofimo Lopez. So, you know, there's some fights out there that can be had, you know. I think that at this point, I agree with Wilder and Joshua just on the fact that I think those dudes legitimately just don't like each other or they don't respect each other at the very least. So I would. I don't think I don't know. I don't know if they. I don't. I think the fans. I think we care more about it than they do. Maybe. What? I was talking about this in 20 man, like 2017. I was talking about this Joshua Wilder fight. It's 2023. So so who's around? Who's around that could beat Fury? His fights, his fights aren't that entertaining. Like his, his, he wins. They say he's technical, but really, what it feels like, he's a tactician where he just basically punches and lays on you. Because the Wilder, Wilder wasn't a, was not a great boxer. You know, you we we've we've seen videos we posted in the group where it's like his his 
punch combination, just like the fluidity of it is it's just not there. You see Mayweather hit the bag. You see Stevenson shadow boxing. You see Garcia hitting the bag. You see these other guys, even Joshua, for that fact. You see them, like, putting combinations together. Wilder didn't have that. So Wilder needs to brawl with someone. Joshua looks like a brawler. Fury just leaned on his neck a lot in each one of those fights, leaned on his back, pushed him against the ropes, put all of his... He probably walked into the ring like 270 pounds. You know, and he just leaned on Wilder. I think Wilder was fighting at like 230, and I think another fight, I think he fought like under 220. And you got this other dude hey. leaning. So I don't think technically... It wasn't, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing. I watch Tyson Fury fight as long as I get to see him sing afterwards. You know, that's my favorite part of the fight. Man. <laughs> I think every I think the last time we did that I was like I'm a big so, fan of but I'm like, don't do it. So Raph, you know, I guess free agency officially starts tonight at midnight. The tamper. But you know, we got the Yeah, yeah, we got the we got the tampering going on, the legal tampering. So you know, Aaron Rodgers got a list for the Jets. Yo, yo. This guy is like, I get it. You, you've played well. But at this point, I've heard this phrase a lot, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some pushback. Oh, he's bona fide first ballot Hall of Famer. How? What makes him first ballot? Tell me two things that you can say definitively he's a first ballot Hall of Famer to the point where teams are jumping through these kind of hoops for him. <laughs> the media. <laughs> That's it. And I, I think he's good. But like we read off the stat last week, you know, it was like before the 2021, maybe before the 2022 season. He was like 0-42 against teams with winning records if he was down in the fourth quarter. Like, if he started the fourth quarter down, it's like, your first ballot Hall of Famer. You shouldn't be 0-42 in any winning category at all. I think... Hasn't won the Super Bowl since... Or hasn't gone to the Super Bowl since he's won it. Since my 14-year-old was won. My 14-year-old was born... Eight pounds, eight ounces, 20 inches long. He is now five foot ten, 170 pounds, and Aaron Rodgers hasn't been to the Super Bowl. So. Hey, the last time since Aaron Rodgers has won the Super Bowl, I've been stationed at three different bases and lived in four different cities. <laughs> I've, deployed, I've deployed three or four times to, no, I've been to Korea, UAE three times. I got promoted twice. Retired, <laughs> rehired. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Multiple kids. But he got a list. It's just. Did, did you see the list? I didn't see the list. This is the first so, time I got the list. I, so, I'm, so, <laughs> so hold on. Let me let me pull this up so to make sure I got everything. I got most of it. Let me make sure I got all of it. So, so he wanted uh, Lazard. Okay, got you that. You know which. Which the Jets, you know, um, the Jets did get Lazard this afternoon. Four years, forty-four million. He years. wanted Odell Beckham, you know, which is, I guess, I guess that's a that's a good request, right? Like, uh, you want Odell Beckham? I can I can understand that. He okay. uh, wants Randall Cobb. 
So I'm like, is he just trying to bring Green Bay? And then he wants Mercedes Lewis. You know, so that was the list. Mercedes Lewis. One offensive rookie of the year that's already there. Where you going to put him? I don't know. But this is what the man said that he wanted. And he want, he wants Odell Beckham. And he wants Lazard, which they got. You, you know, so. You know, so first of all. <laughs> first of all. Tells his story. I'm sure. Who the hell do you think you are? That's the thing. They people have given him this leverage. People have given him this this Vin Diesel Fast and the Furious contract negotiation leverage. And I love those Fast and the Furious movies. But I like them when they started becoming super ridiculous when they were like basically turning into superheroes. And Vin Diesel wasn't in a couple of them. So he just, out of space. He, also, he comes back and was like, I want 30 million. And I'm like, I get that you're a part of this and you are, but it's like, what makes you think we should just automatically give you 30 million? Like, why is that a demand? I get it if it's a request. Rob Dunny Jr., they want you to, you want to come back and do another Iron Man. <coughs> okay, I want $75 million. He has that leverage because in every other movie, he was getting that type of money. The money was generated billions of dollars being made. Aaron Rodgers done nothing for the Jets. He's coming into a division where Buffalo, Buffalo trades at this point a third round pick in the back of tight end. You might get Derrick Henry. So now Josh Allen's not throwing his shoulder and elbows into people on these little scrambles. It's like, okay, cool. Give it to the 240-pound dude who's just as big as Josh Allen standing behind him. And just let Josh stand there and just put his hands up, like oh, touchdown. Or Miami, Miami just got Jalen Ramsey. Miami just got Jalen Ramsey. They're probably gonna get Tom Brady. You heard it here first. Um, he's already he's down there. All he has is a, is, a, is a cat and his daughter. Like his daughter loves him. He can take has somebody to take care of the cat. So, granted, I don't want Tom Brady to come back. But you you can easily be in a position of where you are third in your division and be playing well. Mm-hmm. I'm saying so it's not like a matter of like, oh you're third in NFC South, you're probably playing terrible. You're probably four and nine after 13 games and you're third in NFC South. The Jets could be after 10 games, they could be, you know, Six and four, five and five, and playing well, but you know, lose a game here to the Patriots is just have their number, or you know, they lose a game to Buffalo because they have their well, yeah. The Patriots have an offensive coordinator now. And then you got you got this offensive coordinator who might who might not be wrapped in because I mean he literally had to hire another coach to help him manage with his coaching responsibilities. It's like me having somebody else in this room trying to help me do the podcast. They're like, listen. I'm figuring out on my own. We're figuring out on our own together. So it's like, I can't hire another person. It's like, yeah, you've done podcasts before. Hey, man, give me some cues or hold up some cue cards. It's like, why am I here if I got to hire somebody to do my job for me? And then he got fired because of it. And then you hire right back. So I just think, I think, they, I think they're a little delusional in thinking that just stacking off the offensive side of the ball with these players. Because you got to figure out, you got young players that are already there. And one guy was offensive rookie of the year. Odell Beckham Jr. is, I don't, like, I like him. I, I met him. He came here on base. Um, he seems like a real nice guy. People who talk about him say they really like him. Teammates really like him. 
but it is a draw. He is going to draw attention. He is going to draw energy. So is Garrett Wilson open, but Odell Beckham is the the number one read on this route, and Aaron just puts it up. Maybe he makes a spectacular catch. Maybe he's incomplete on third and seven. And Wilson, like, yo, I'm running this dig route. I'm wide open 12 yards. So, you know what I'm confused about? Uh, that's all Jalen Ramsey went for? A third-round pick and a tight end? Yo, man, third-round pick and a backup tight end. Not even Gasicki. A back. Like, no one like, caught- I, I, no one, you and I are fans of, of teams that are, are uh, struggling to put winning seasons together. That's a good way to put, you know, Washington Commanders fan, Atlanta Falcons fan. I'm like, if he went for a third and a tight end, that means at a minimum, the Rams ask for a little bit more than that. That means that he should be a. He, that means he should be a member of the Washington Commanders right now. That's what that he means. He should be a member of any of the other thirty-one teams. If he went for a third and a tight end, is like so that. And that was like I was talking to the guy in my office. Like that means nobody called. Because I'm personally thinking like I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second and a fourth for the number three rated cornerback in the NFL. Even if you have to pay him, but if you have the cap money, he's like, okay, do I draft? a guy and pay him peanuts and hopefully it works out? Or do I say, you know what, I'm going to get us through $17 million to lock down one half of the field? Like, what makes more sense? So, like, the fact that he went for a third and a backup tight end is evident to me that, because we posted in our group five, six days ago that he was on a trading block. So, if if that was a rumor last, what's today, Tuesday, last Wednesday, if that was a rumor that he was on a trading block, and then the information comes out a couple of days ago that he went for a third and a backup tight end. That means either Los Angeles didn't reach out to anybody or no one thought it was real except for Miami. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe he told them that he wanted to go to Miami and you know, or maybe the league, people around the league knew that he wanted to go back to the state of Florida and maybe some leverage was lost that way. That's the only thing I can come up with and I'm making that up. There's a hub in Atlanta. They fly from Atlanta to Miami all week long. He could have gone home and seen his people. They could have <laughs> had him on the other side. Hey. You draft this guy out of Clemson to be an edge rusher, or maybe you move up and you get Jalen Carter from Georgia. You make things happen. I shouldn't be in my room planning out these things and trying to make these moves if they couldn't figure it out. You know, speaking of Atlanta, get your hand off my hiney, baby. Yeah. $20 million for two years for backup for a rookie that you're not paying $2 million to. I think our GM went to some Ivy League school. I think he's like a Princeton or a Harvard or a Brown guy. Yeah, I don't I don't understand. I don't I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Shout out to Princeton. Making the NCAA tournament. Yeah, but you know, I, I I mean, Heineke, I guess, is an insurance policy just in case Ritter doesn't perform or whatever the case. Like maybe down the road, he if the Falcons can get to, say, six and six in that division, but Ritter isn't looking good or he gets hurt, maybe Heineke is the vet that comes off the bench and brings the spark that gets the Falcons into the playoff. Yeah, I'd rather, honestly, at this point, 
I don't know. I, I think I think the, the <laughs> is that I talked about I talked about this before with my other uh, other guy that talks sports, but Atlanta will go get a guy that let's say had eleven sacks for Chicago. Defensive end, he had eleven sacks for Chicago. He's a free agent. Atlanta will get him four years, sixty million. Right. He comes to Atlanta, he gets four sacks. And it's like, why is he not producing? Well, in Chicago, he had two 325-pound defensive tackles eating up blocks, getting double team on this this percentage of their pass plays. So he was one-on-one mm-hmm. with a tackle or one-on-one with a swim move with a guard, whatever the case may be, no chip from the tight end. And he, and he got a few extra sacks because of the presence. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't make any they don't they don't tailor the guy so now you got jesse bates from cincinnati he's like okay was he effective because cincinnati's pass rush and linebacker play because atlanta doesn't have the same caliber linebacker play so now you have this guy out there if he's really good at diagnosing plays cool but seeing that jalen ramsey went for a third in the tight end i'm like yo hey los angeles what do y'all want for aaron donald because Aaron Donald pushing up the middle, now the safety that we gave $65 million to, maybe he's more effective because the pass comes out a little earlier. Or he gets a couple of tip passes, or maybe he can play down in the box because Aaron Donald eating up two and three, you know, blockers. It's like, you can't just make, like, the move. It's like, oh, I'm going to get this new car. I'm going to put good rims on it. I'm going to put new tires on it and put 10 on it. But like, yeah, what about the brakes? You have to break this? Oil, like you gotta put, you gotta put it all together to make the whole thing work. I don't want it flashy because you spent sixty five million on the safety, and you spent twenty million dollars on the back of quarterback. You spent twenty million dollars on the back of quarterback that they let go to keep Sam Howell. So it's not like you got a free agent guy that was a hot commodity on the market. You're paying twenty million dollars for a guy that probably shouldn't get any more than eight. You know, I'm gonna stop just short of giving the Cowboys a compliment. But Stephon Gilmore, wow. I mean, when you get moved around that much, it might be a sign that you're you're trading on your name more than you're trading on your talent. I mean, he still had a good season last year. I mean, he just played in Indy, you know, but you you know, you got digs on the other side, so you know, like at the very least, you get somebody that potentially Helps him out from a tutelage standpoint, if nothing else, you know, but Detroit, you know, is on a corner spree. They picked up Cam Sutton from the Steelers. They picked up Emmanuel Mosley from the 49ers. But the team that I want to focus on, obviously, we've talked about this team a lot during the course of our podcast. But the Chicago Bears, after everything they got from Carolina last week, they turn around and picked up TJ Edwards and Edmonds from Buffalo. Like, I don't know. The NFC North is going to be tough. Green Bay just might finish last. They're making moves. I think they're going to be exciting to watch. I like. I picked Minnesota last year. I think people really like Kirk Cousins. They have to be the favorite coming in this year. But yeah. I am the leader if, of the Kirk Cousins I, Appreciation Society. If Chicago... 
somebody broke this down the other day. I believe it was. I want to. I want to give him credit. Um, I don't know if it was Shannon Sharp. I don't think. I think it might have been Rich Eisen. I can't. I can't remember. It was somebody I was watching. I, I want to give credit to them for this, but like I said, I can't remember what it was. But what he said was adding DJ Moore to Chicago allows every other wide receiver to fall into their natural position. So yes. Claypool who thinks who wants to be a number one, but can thrive as a number two. Mooney, who was their number one in the slot taking the top off the defense, is just it makes it so much easier. And that you think about like, oh, is it just a matter of talent? Because people talk about Stefan Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen that that rise. And I was thinking about it like as a I was sitting about like, you know what? It's like the wide receiver will probably tell like DJ Moore will say, okay, all right, on this post route, if you see me and my right hip is even with the guy, let it go. Cause I'm gonna beat him to the spot. If it's single high coverage, put it here. If it's double, I'm gonna cut it off here. And I think wide receivers can tell the quarterback, like, listen, if you see this this body movement, you can you can uh you can make your adjustments based off that. So I was watching Justin Fields a lot of the time and he wouldn't throw the ball. It was like, yo, he would switch his hip like he wanted to throw it. But I think with DJ Moore, he'll listen, man, if I get him on my hip and on this out route, you know what's the out route, ten yard out, fifteen yard out, oh, let it go. Like I'm gonna get to this ball. And I think it doesn't hurt. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to have Cole Komet either. So uh, we got a uh, Rashad visit. Penny. We got Rashad Penny going to Philly. So is Miles Sanders for sure gone? The problem is the NFLPA. Like I said, they got to look out for these running backs and and structure something to where these guys can get deals because they are treating these guys who are basically human battering rams like cast offs so you got to give these guys their, their yeah okay i'm, I'm doing i'm working <laughs> got a visitor here uh so they treat these guys like oh we can just get another one and it's just it's so unfair but the problem with that is miles sanders no matter where he goes he's not gonna be able to get the money like the long-term money that he really, really needs because every team has this this philosophy that I can get a guy in the fourth round and can do what you do. So so is it safe to say that uh, Josh McDaniels is not a, a fan of merch? Yo, Josh McDaniels lives in the worst city for a guy like him because he is apparently a gambler. He wants to gamble. He wants to gamble relationships. I think his ego will tell him, like, listen, man, you're up 2,000. Leave the table. Nah, I got this game figured out. I'm about to make it 10,000. And now he's 5,000 in a hole a week later. Because, like I said, we talked about Darren Waller. Darren Waller just got married to Kelsey Plum, a Las Vegas Aces guard in WNBA. He's a, he was a Las Vegas Raider, just got married less than two weeks ago. And they trade him to New York Giants all the way across the country. Yes, the flights from Vegas to Newark, four hours. Four hours and 20 minutes. Easy flight, I get it. But why would you trade a guy when you got just got Jimmy Garoppolo 
and Jimmy made a living throwing the ball to Kels. Yeah, he ain't throwing it deep. Not at all. So you get rid of him. You can eat it if you want. Yeah, Yeah, like uh, Garoppolo is, the tight end is supposed to be his best friend, along with having Josh Jacobs. So you would think that Darren Waller would be the guy that you would want on the team, you know, because I don't know how happy Devontae Adams is going to be if Garoppolo ends up being the starter. So hopefully they're still in the quarterback market looking for that at least. Oh, they're they're, they're done with their quarterback market. Josh McDaniels. Oh, that's it, huh? You can make Garoppolo because it's what Belichick started. Belichick drafted Garoppolo in the second round when they thought Tom Brady was done. Josh McDaniels, just like Matt Patricia, just like Charlie Weiss, just like Joe Judge, just like all these guys who are disciples of Belichick, think they can operate very similar to the way this, this these disciples of Floyd Mayweather think they can operate like listen certain people in the history of earth are one of one you can dislike it you can think you're on that person's level there's going to be evidence to support that you are not it belichick is a one of one kind of coach mayweather one of one kind of fighter jordan one of one kind of player lebron tom brady i mean the list goes on and on tiger woods there are certain people that no matter what, you can look at your numbers and they can be close and they can be skewed and the argument can be made. Mm-hmm. But certain people, Michael Jackson, move the needle differently than other players. Other coaches, they're not, it's not a bunch of Nick Saban. Kirby Smart went back to back years. If he has a bad year next year, his recruiting class the following year will not be as good as the one that he had last year going to a championship. Nick Saban can lose two games a year for the next three years and still have the top recruiting class because he's Nick Saban, because the way he does things, because he is one of one. Mm-hmm. Josh McDaniels thinks that he is 1A to Belichick's one of one, and he's not. So they got Garoppolo in there. They think they're going to make it work. And the first thing you do is get rid of the only person in the middle of the field that could take attention away from Hunter Renfro in the slot. So now I don't need what, what tight end, what tight end do I need to worry about Moreau or whatever these guys are still in. I don't need to worry about him. I can match him up with any one of my cover linebackers or my cover safeties. And now Renfro is a great rock runner. It's not going to do him any good. If Derwin James and Bosa are just standing in his window because they don't have to worry about, Waller helping out with the blocks. They don't have to worry about Waller running the scene. I mean, it just, it just, it just seemed like I don't know if it was a money move, but it's <laughs> a bad move. Considering like, you got, what like, about the third or fifth? They didn't even get like a player to replace them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Stephon Gilmore went for a fifth round pick. Um, you know, so the Texans, you know, they picked up Robert Woods, you know, from division rival Tennessee. They picked up Noah Brown, you know, so I like both of those pickups if Woods can come back to form because obviously he was coming off the injury. He didn't look so good this year. Who's Noah in? Brown probably That's had his Bye, guys. Yeah, and Noah Brown had his best season so far, you know, uh, with the Cowboys. So, you know, it's a start. But what I like, you know, good old D'Amico Ryans went out and got his boy Jimmy Ward. So, you know, that was a good move. I think 
I think the when you have a defensive coach, I think he's going to lean heavy. He's going to lean heavy defensively. And the tree up to number one, rumor has it Carolina's looking at C.J. Stroud because I guess they felt like he wasn't going to be there at nine, which is likely. So you get Bryce Young. You got to get him a you got to get him a six foot four target in some form, either in tight end or just a big wide receiver, six three and a half. You got to get him. You got to get him one of those guys. So if you don't have that guy, then you're going to be in a situation where you're going to hope the defense can keep teams under 20 points, and then maybe your rookie wide receiver can make. I mean, rookie rookie quarterback. Yeah. Makes and and they still have Brandon Cooks too. Once again, he's he's like five ten. Like, like, I mean, they're about to have the shortest starting lineup in the NFL aside from their <laughs> offensive lineman. Your quarterback's 5'10". Brandon Cook maybe measures at 5'11". Robert Woods, maybe he measures 6'0". Noah Brown, maybe he measures 6'0". It's like you have a young quarterback who's not very tall. I don't think you have a great offensive line. So it's like you, you're, you're going to have to either package some pieces together and bring in a wide receiver, or I don't, I don't think you can get like Odell or any kind of like top free agent. So they did something. So they did pick up Shaq Mason from Tampa. So they, so they got a lime in there. But the one that stood out to me, you know, Sam Darnold to San Francisco. I don't understand the Sam Darnold love. Apparently, uh, from what I was reading earlier, Shanahan loved him Love. coming out the draft. But he, he also yeah, and, the ball until his time in the fourth quarter to win the Super Bowl. He loves Sam, Sam Darnold. I don't know if it's, I I don't know if I would invest I in the quarterback that sees ghosts. Um he is he's not he's not good at, at his job as an NFL quarterback. You have two opportunities. Or maybe Shanahan Maybe Shanahan, you know, as the the whisperer, you know, like the NFC version of Sean Payton, maybe he can unlock something out of him that we haven't seen yet. I don't think it's there, but, you know. Just needs to admit that trading up to get Trey Lance was a bad move. Not just sticking with Jimmy Garoppolo was a bad move. He could have waited and gotten Trey Lance without giving him three first round picks. And it would it wouldn't be this pressure on him, the GM, and the player to perform because no one thought he was a top quarterback until the rumors came out that it was either Mac Jones or Trey Lance at three for San Francisco. It's that same thing, but some guys are one-of-one one head coaches. Shanahan, I think he has a great scheme. I think he's probably an all, awesome offensive coordinator, and I think he could have cut his teeth with that for years. But as a head coach, he is mediocre, sub, actually subpar without Jimmy Garoppolo, and no one thinks Jimmy Garoppolo is a top-flight quarterback. So you mean to tell me that your best chance of winning is with this average quarterback and if you don't have him you are a terrible <laughs> coach it doesn't make like it doesn't compute like you can't be a great coach when you have your starting quarterback and then Brock Purdy comes in 
and it inflates the numbers. Those throws weren't great. It was a lot of throws that he was making in those games that were like, ooh, that's pretty close. So I just think the Shanahan, I think Shanahan being, they took Johnny Manziel mm-hmm. in the first round. So were there, were there any other signings so far that stood out to you? Uh, Kansas City not paying their current left tackle top money, but getting a tackle from Jacksonville and paying him twenty Welcome million to Washington to bring him in. I thought that was a little. I, I like, like I said, I don't know if these negotiations are personal, and I, I think I think it's wise for players and agents and teams to not let all that information out. Mm-hmm. But if you can give a guy who wasn't on your Super Bowl roster. $20 million a year. I don't see why you can't give a guy that was on your roster 23, 25 maybe, or even just that straight up, just give him that same 20, but give it to him for five years out of four. You know, guaranteed 55 and 60 of it. You know, it just doesn't seem like it doesn't, it doesn't compute to me that they made that move. Um, like I said, the Darren Waller Vegas move doesn't really add up for me. Um, like I said, we talked about the Falcons move. I think Carolina's trade. I don't think that was wise because <coughs> you have a new coach, and I get that the the concept of marrying a new coach with a young quarterback is ideal. I just don't know why you give up your number one wide receiver to do that, you could have given up your nine this year and whatever pick you get next year to get Lamar Jackson. So if you figure I give you, hey, Baltimore, I want to sign Lamar, four years, 200 million guaranteed, I'm going to give you my nine this year and I'm going to give you my first round pick next year. Lamar Jackson, 72. 70, 75% of his wins, so he's 73 at the 10 games. You got 17 games. You're looking at 12 and 5, 13-4, somewhere in that range. You're you're going to win NFC South. At 12 and 5, you win NFC South. Off the rip. Well, I think, so well, I think something that stood out to me. You drafted like in the 20s. So you give Baltimore a 9 this year and a 27 next year for Lamar Jackson. And you keep DJ Moore, but you give all that up to move up to get Bryce Young, and you have no weapon for him to throw to. Or this proud. Me, Bryce Young. Yeah. Me, but you have no weapons. Yeah. Well, what stood out to me is I'm always amazed at how San Francisco just adds to their defense every single year. You know, even without D'Amico Ryans, they went out and got Javon Hargrave from the Eagles. So that's TJ Edwards and Hargrave that the Eagles have lost now. Uh, They did keep James Bradbury, you know, of Super Bowl holding fame. You know, they did keep him. So that probably means that Johnson Gardner's on his way out. So so Philly's going to... Twitter post with him, like the... Superimposed in a Cincinnati jersey. He said he liked it per Twitter. Yeah, so so Philly's going to look completely different next year. And I know that this one is probably under the radar and nobody probably truly cares. But I'm interested to see where Adam Thielen ends up, you know, because I think that not only are you getting a consistent receiver, but I think you're going to get a locker room leader as well. So, like, somebody 
I'm not saying that Houston should get them, but I'm just saying some team that's in that same level that Houston is on could do really well to get Adam Thielen just for the locker room. How close is Minneapolis to Kansas City? He's a Minnesota. <laughs> it ain't that far. It ain't that far. I think I think that's the move. I like I like honestly, I'm I'm a big fan of any Kansas City wide receiver move because I think Mahomes is just like a, a top notch quarterback, obviously. But I think any free agent wide receiver is probably looking around like I got two years left, three years left at, of what they feel is their prime. I can go to Kansas City and, and make some moves. I, like I said, I like I, I like what a lot of teams are doing. Um, I like guys getting paid. I like the guaranteed money coming out. I like uh, I like teams not being afraid to cut a guy. I'm I'm just not a big fan of my my team that I cheer for. Just kind of willy nilly signing guys. Like listen, your your defensive. <laughs> is irrelevant if you're pass you got to get the pass rush right so i need somebody i need atlanta to call los angeles and make an aaron donald deal or somebody i need this i need to see so that because if they give us so i do like for song then i'm like cool like what are you gonna give up for aaron donald i do i do like washington picking up cody barton from seattle um i do like seattle getting uh the guy from denver his name slipping me right now defensive tackle but uh but also i was shocked i guess i shouldn't be shocked but seattle letting quentin jefferson go so that's going to be a big fish out there that maybe atlanta can go after and you know but overall free agency has been great so far but please tell me please tell me that when i wake up tomorrow i'm gonna hear some kind of lamar jackson news you won't you won't, and I and I think I was talking about this earlier. There's two there's two ways they can you can look at this. From us on the outside, we look at it two ways. They could have put the exclusive franchise tag on him and essentially made him play for Baltimore. But they put the non-exclusive tag on him, and we can look at it like this: they put the non-exclusive because they say, "Hey, we respect you as a player." But our hard line in the saying is we're not going to guarantee this much money. So we don't want to lock you in to playing for us for $43 million if there's an opportunity that another team is willing to give you your $200-plus million guarantee. So we'll offer the $32.5 million. You can still continue to negotiate because they can come to terms make a deal before like I don't know despite like some drop dead date maybe in July or August or something like that. So they still can come to a deal. But I think it can be viewed as like, hey, we respect you. We just have to we have to draw the line at we can't pay you two hundred and thirty one million dollars guaranteed. I heard another point of view from a former executive, he was on a Rich Eisen show, and what he said is that when you're a quarterback and you're 23, 24, 25, and you get a deal and it's five years, 200 million, and only 100 is guaranteed, you're more than likely to get that whole 200 million because you're in your mid 20s. You're going to play through it. If you're healthy, you'll play. So you're going to get the 100 million guaranteed, the signing bonus, whatever the case may be. But the likelihood of you getting that whole deal is like 95% probability. So I've been like all in and like, oh, you should get this whole deal. But I'm like, okay, if that's the case, if you're mathematically 95% likely to still get your whole deal, are you are, are you dying on a hill that you don't need to die on? So that's the thing with Lamar. And I think 
team saying that they're out, they're probably out for now. But if you if you really think about, like I said, the Carolina scenario, like you could have given up nine and essentially twenty seven next year down Lamar Jackson, paid him that money because you're not paying Christian McCaffrey anymore. Atlanta, you could have given up eight, win the NFC South with ten or eleven wins, and now you give up eight and twenty seven next year. So it's like everyone's giving up first round picks to move up to draft quarterbacks from college just so they don't have to pay him any big money. But meanwhile, you're depleting your draft capital, i.e. San Francisco. Their draft capital is completely depleted. Los Angeles, F those picks. Yeah, now you out here trading third-round picks with top three cornerbacks because you don't have any leverage. Well, and allegedly, uh, Stafford's on the trade block as well. Who's going on Stafford? Somebody. There's nowhere to put him. There's no, there's no team. Like, where do you put a starting quarterback currently in the NFL landscape of that age. He's a starter, not a backup. Mm-hmm. What team of the top of your head would I, I mean, he could be he could be the backup plan if Aaron Rodgers falls through. And with the Jets. But I think yeah, the, if Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that much leverage because he knows that the Jets are his real only plan this year. Because I think Tennessee Green might cut him. Tennessee, they still haven't made a decision on Tannehill. Mm-hmm. Trade, you can't trade Tannehill for Stafford because LA right, is right. another old quarterback. So right. that, so where does he go? Can't go to Cleveland, Tampa. Even though the the, the reports are that they want Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield's people put that report out. <laughs> but I would say that that makes sense. Tampa makes sense. I think any any quarterback that wants an opportunity to win their division should go to NFC South or Indy doesn't have a quarterback yet, and they're fourth. They're not going to give up their fourth overall pick. No, no. So I say Indy, you run it back one more time. With you can't do it again. You can't do it four years in a row. <laughs> yeah, like so it's tough. Like yeah, like yeah. I don't like they. I, I think the Rams, hubris flew too close to the sun. You know, get their wings burned off, and now they should just tear it all down and take whatever you can get, whatever you can move. Maybe Arizona, training within division. Arizona rising for one year. Kyler Murray heals up completely. I mean, that sounds like I don't know how much money you want to be paying to the quarterback position. I don't know when Kyler Murray's extension kicks in, but I mean, it's not it's not many places where teams that need a starting quarterback are willing to take an older starting quarterback. Well, you know what? If uh, if something does happen with Lamar Jackson, he, he could be the replacement in Baltimore. But you know what? That is our uh, free agency talk, you know. So now it is time for the world renowned. <laughs> Get it off my chest. And I'm going to go first this time because Raph got another heavy one for us. So um, real quick, I mentioned in our college football playoff episode that I hate the word overrated. So what I hate is the overreaction to 
every single thing. So a couple of weeks ago or last week, whatever it was, we talked about the NBA MVP. And in the moment, I was like, hey, hey, yo, I like Jason Tatum. Time has passed. Jason Tatum ain't in that conversation no more because Boston has slipped and, you know, they just haven't been looking good ever since we had that conversation. But yeah. now Nikola Jokic, the analytical assassin, you know, Denver's lost again tonight, you know, so they're going through a spell right now. They're still first in the West because they were six games up, so they're not going to probably lose the first seed or anything like that. But what I'm hating is the talk of a guy who scored 37, 20, <laughs> and 11 talking about he's not the MVP because they lost to the Nets. He's not the MVP because they lost to the Spurs. Can I tell you a secret? When the Bulls went 72 and 10, one of those losses was to the Toronto Raptors. And guess what? They were an expansion team. They didn't have no Vince Carter yet. They had some Alvin Williams, some Antonio Davis. This happens in the NBA. When you play 82 games, there are going to be nights where you get beat. There's going to be a three-game losing streak somewhere in there just because you're going through, as Raph put it earlier, ebbs and flows. You know, I'm sure that they're trying to get to the finish line, all these teams trying to get to the finish line. So you could catch somebody slipping at this time of year. But if Jokic was your MVP or if Jokic was the MVP, losing to the Nets doesn't make him not the MVP. You know, so if Embiid comes out here and they lose to, say, you know, Portland tomorrow, you know, is Embiid not the MVP now? Like, we just going to hand the MVP day to day on what happened in the latest game? It doesn't work like that. It's a whole body of work. You know, the only reason I didn't have Embiid MVP as we talked about was because of the amount of games that he missed relative to the competitors for the MVP. You know, so at this stage, I could see him winning the MVP, but I don't see anything that Jokic did individually that would cause him to lose the MVP. So stop taking one-game samples just because a team went 9-0 and and then they went to Norman, Oklahoma and lost to Oklahoma and lost their first game of the season. They are not overrated. It's just tough to win in Oklahoma. You yeah. know, if if the NBA playoffs start and Denver gets to the Western Conference Finals and they bow out in seven to Phoenix or whatever, they weren't overrated. They made the Western Conference Finals. So stop using these small samples to come up with these ludicrous takes as if the other 81 games didn't happen. You know, that's it. Just wanted to say that. So, Raph, it's all yours. All right, so to piggyback off of that, it's a term we used to hear a lot in our military career. The commander would come up and say something, the shirt would come up, to piggyback off of that, and the chief would come up to piggyback off of that. You used to, used to be annoyed by it, but I'm going to do it now. The NBA MVP race uh, last week had a different turn, according to a couple of pundits on ESPN, J.J. Reddick, Kendrick Perkins. It's been a big talk. For about a week, which most things are. Most things are like a good buzz for about a week. So Perk's argument was that so many of the NBA voters for the MVP are white and that there's only been three guys who weren't top 10 in scoring to win MVP, and each one of them happened to be white since 1990. So if we do the math, 1990 was 
32, 33 years ago. It depends on like at what point of year you talk about. So it's at least 33 years ago when the voting occurred. I think that J.J. Reddick immediately calling him on it like, yo, you're trying to imply that race plays a role in these guys winning MVP as if they don't have a case for MVP. Steve Nash was the leader of the most efficient offense, the Dan Tony offense that everyone thought was going to be the new norm. They won a bunch of games. He was the orchestrator of that in games where he wasn't playing or when he wasn't on the floor, the offense did not look the same. So the best offense in basketball did not look the same when he wasn't on the floor. So that's the argument. Yes, I personally probably would have picked Kobe because Kobe dunked on him pretty aggressively one year. Or I would have picked LeBron because I just personally think the way they impacted the game from a a get-on-my-back, backpack kind of approach, I personally like that more versus the I'm going to lead you by telling you how to manage all the stuff going on. I'm going to get you here, get you there. So I think that pundits go to race, especially black pundits, go to race way too much, and then it loses when we have an actual case of race playing a greater factor than it should, you lose your leverage. You lose it because you used it for MVP, MVP voting. Like, damn, there, every MVP in the NBA hasn't been black in the 75 years since this has been, been black dudes, ABA, your top scores are black, your top rebounds are black, your, your top paid guys are black. There's almost no American-born white NBA players starting the NBA. You have a few guys. I think Gordon Hay was on the bench. J.J. Redick was probably one of the last little weekends. There's no more Mark Price. There's no Craig Elos. No Dan Marley, Tom Chambers. All these guys, they're all gone. They've basically been athleted out of the league. So they have a real argument. Say, yo, there's no more American white guys in the league. They're all foreign. So it's not a matter of just, oh, these guys are white, and they're just voting for other white players. Dirk averaged like 26 points that year. And they end up winning the championship over LeBron and the Heatles. So it wasn't like he wasn't a valid player that, that you know, should have earned MVP. I think these pundits have to stop going the race and playing the race card every single time something isn't going their way. Yes, I do not agree that simply because Jokic is the analytic assassin, he should automatically be the MVP. My argument is that in a game where you need him to get you 30, 35, 40 points, can he win it for you? Evidence is supporting that he can't He because it affects the game differently. And B can go out there and get you 20, 10, and 10 and wear out your entire defense and make it happen. Then he can also give you 44, 15, and 5 and and be the same way. Whereas if Jokic is giving you 44 points, it might not be the same impact. Or he might not be able to guard another guy. He might give up 44 points. So that was my argument. That's a valid argument. You can't just be like, oh, because he's white, they're voting for him. Because it's like, I don't think white people in the media care that the NBA MVP is white. I don't think they rest their hat on the fact like, yeah, I didn't vote for the black guy. And I'm happy that the MVP is white. I don't think they care that much. So when you try to invoke race, and JJ was like, yo, you're trying to imply one thing without saying it. Say it. Show some facts, support it, support your argument. But most times you don't have a support for your argument. And when you really have one, because you bring up race all the time, people are going to pass you off. 
So the next time Perkins brings up race, like, listen, you better quantify and qualify that. Because last time you just threw out some information from 1990, even though in the 80s, Magic Johnson didn't lead the league and scored. He won three MVPs. So it's just, I think the black pundit, I know you want to be the voice of black people, but you have to also still be the voice of reason. Black people were reasonable people. We are not sitting around here thinking that because Jokic is winning the MVP because he's white. He's winning the MVP because people love analytics. They love the non-competitive numbers because you're not looking at competitive numbers. You're looking at the overarching numbers. You're using that number to validate your argument, and he's winning because of that. They're like, oh, you don't need to be a top seed to win MVP. Yeah, because analytics have taken over sports. If you want to make an argument against analytics, I can rock with that because you have evidence to support that. You're feeling that three white dudes won the NBA MVP in 33 years. If that was flipped, if the NFL only had three black dudes win MVP in 33 years, you'd be like, you would try to use the race card then. So don't use it. And if you're going to use it, quantify it qualify it back it up stop jumping out of here and just acting like you're taking arrows for everybody because oh you're black and you said it we all supposed to believe it no cut it out speak real facts not your feelings and stop playing a damn race card all the damn time it's not that serious Jokic is gonna win the mvp because just like every major award and every major sport if you start off the year and you're on top of the list you don't do anything to fall from the top of the list, they're going to vote for you, just like the Heisman. The quarterback from Tennessee wasn't going to go from not being on the list to Heisman winner if there's another guy who they came into the season, projected to win the Heisman, didn't do anything to lose it. It's just a fact of the, the, the way the awards are written, the way they're voted on, the way all of this works out the same way. Kyrie Irving will be an all-star if he's averaging over 20 points no matter what he does to his team. LeBron will always be an all-star because people are going to vote for him. Steph Curry will always be an all-star no matter what his team's road record is. None of that stuff matters. De'Aaron Fox might have to work a little harder being on an all-star team. Same thing with MVP. If you come into this season and you're going to be considered an MVP candidate and you don't do anything to lose it, you're probably going to win it. It's not because he's white. I don't think the white writers care about the dude from Serbia winning as their, their feather in their cap. He's the analytical warrior. They go with analytics. I don't think they look at anything else other than analytics wins and losses. So cut it out. Well, you know, like the thing that bothers me, I think, is it's a regular season award. You know, we have 82 games to figure this out. And people are trying to throw their postseason narratives onto the regular season award. So with that being said, the thing that hurts Dirk, I think, is his team won 67 games, he won MVP, and then they lost in the first round to the eight seed. So that's, so I think that's just one of those things that, like, people hold against him. Nash never made the finals, you know, like, so people are looking at it that way, whereas most other MVPs, you know, have at least been to the finals or got to a conference final. Jokic got to a conference final, but I think that was more... Jamal Murray than it was Jokic in that particular year, you know. So if this year they get to the Western Conference Finals, you can't even take that away from Jokic. Now, I do think just playing probability, there are probably some guys in the room that 
like to see the white guy come out on top. Just like ain't you will never see no Filipinos until it's time for a Pacquiao fight. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's just the way it is. You know, it's not necessarily racist, but there's a certain relatability that resonates with you. So, you know, it the same reason that we wanted to see black quarterbacks sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we knew that they were talented and we wanted that. I, I get that in the same sense, but if you're gonna use if you're gonna use the stat of 33 years and it's been 28 of them has been a black dude that won the award right say that oh the white guys won because of the white voters what about the other 28 years that you provided like it it, it just doesn't compute it's like they have race traders yeah so it's like i understand like the i understand that race does factor into sports people can say oh they're getting only thing that matters is green not all the time. I'm not saying people are racist. Like Nick Wright said it best. He's like, I'm not saying that if race plays a factor, it doesn't mean that people are racist. Right, right. Just sometimes it does play a factor. You can't point out something particular and use a statistic like, hey, five out of 33 times the white guys won this award and 80% of the voters are white, but the other 28 times out of 33 black dudes won it. I'm pretty sure right. Dirk's numbers Dirk's numbers were just as good in all of those years. It's just that the team success and everything else. Kobe only has one MVP. Shaq has one. So it's not it's not the it's not the defining element of the NBA. So to right. to bestow this expectation that race plays such a grand factor in it when statistically Jordan's third year at the one or two years in a row. They were better than a year that he won it, but Barkley got the award. So it's like it's it's not an exact science. So to leverage this feeling that it's a race-based voting system is something that's clearly not even like doesn't even make rational sense. And you're trying to say there's a, a racial objective to something that doesn't make rational sense is a poor argument. And I think it's a lazy argument. That's 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 my big key. Like it's not. There's more arguments for the what's wrong with MVP versus white dudes winning it with white voters. I can rock with that. Yeah. You know, and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of another episode of Sports Reports is ordered. You know, I am Mike Wilson, Instagram, MLW25, Twitter, 2-Bit Reports. Where can they get you, Raph? Find me on Twitter at Fear, Fear My Raph. You can also find me on or find us on Instagram, Sport, Sports Reports is ordered. Like I said, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast. We appreciate everybody chiming in. Shout out to people down in Louisiana that chimed in. I had a guy go down there this week for a TDY. He said he's been spreading the word. So we're 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 we're, we're national. We're trying to get <laughs> guys out in japan have been rocking with us so i respect everybody you know yeah we international we got some brussels we got some germany going on you know we out there big things like so i want to make sure everybody gets on board now because when this bandwagon this train starts rolling i want everybody to say i was on there from the beginning and we want you to ride this whole wave with us so we're on tv we have our studio and everything else like yo shout out day ones down back in 2023 so day ones we the ones You know what I'm saying? You know, but hey, we'll be back on Friday. 
You know what I'm saying? Until then, everything will be in your description. Like, review, rate us. Hit us up on YouTube. Leave some comments. Let's have a conversation. Especially, I want to hear thoughts about what Raph just talked about with the Get It Off My Chest. So we will be here Friday. Hope to see you then. Thank you for your support. And we love you, America. We out. We out.